Blog Talk Radio. Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit and our producer, Marty Oakley. And they provide us a forum to warn others about the reality of what is occurring with our elderly. Thank you for spending this time with us this evening, and we hope you walk away with information or that you have questions that you never thought about before, because that's what we're here for. The show was originally created due to a void of honest conversation and knowledge about the so-called compassionate hospice industry, but it has morphed into a much wider issue. Calling the elderly for extinction is happening in hospitals, nursing homes, long-term care facilities, as well as hospice, and it is a global issue. From the United States, Canada, Australia, and beyond. It occurs in every country, and we have been powerless to stop this fast-moving train. And the fact is our elderly and disabled are no longer safe. The HIPAA oath that states that a medical professional will do no harm is now an old wives' tale because it used to be that way, but it's not anymore. I witnessed my mom be put into a coma with toxic drugs and starved and dehydrated to death in Georgia. So I know what happens to people when they are unaware of what is coming down. If I had known in 2017 what was fixing to happen to my mom, I would have done something different, but I had no clue. So that's why I do the program and invite other victims' families to tell their stories as well as have professional guests on to help what can we do, some way to protect us and our loved ones. Clearly the system is broken intentionally, and it's to save money from taking care of people that are no longer considered viable. It's much cheaper to euthanize them. Hospice was created for actively dying to minimize pain, but today it has been used as a legal mechanism for hastening death. Don't confuse it with assisted suicide or what they call dying with dignity now or medical aid in dying because it's done intentionally by the medical profession. The individual doesn't ask for it, and they have no clue that this is happening to them. There is no consent for them to give them these drugs. Michelle Young-Dewers was a hospice respiratory therapist who wrote the book Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice where she talks about signing quotas, promises made to patients but not kept, and how they were betrayed by the very people who were supposed to be compassionate. She is a true warrior speaking up and out against the humanity being levied on our people. An excellent resource for a list of drugs and their effects that are given to our loved one is halovoice.org, and they protect and advocate for the rights of the medically vulnerable. 
They have a helpline you can call with questions or if your loved one is in a situation and you want to get them out or before you even consider putting them in. That number is 888-221-4256. And if you happen to be like myself and many of my guests and you're aware of what goes on and you want to help, they are always looking for people to help so you can volunteer. They have a legal life-affirming medical document that can save your life if you're hospitalized as well as other important information. And, And don't be fooled into thinking that, oh, I have a will, I have a living will. It is not safe. It does not cover everything that we have found out that you need to be covering yourself for. Another resource is Life Legal Defense Foundation.org, and they have access to pro-life attorneys that can assist you. Most of those are in the United States, but if you're in a situation where your loved one is being guardianized or you're trying to get them out of a, of a facility, they can help you. And that number is 707-224-6400. And just to mention this, if you're in a situation where someone is trying to insist that you take the COVID shot, it's not a vaccine, it's a shot, if they are trying to insist on that, Life Legal Defense Foundation can also help you with that because they cannot mandate that you take that. It's unconstitutional. It is a genetic therapy experimental drug. So it's not a vaccine. And that's all I'll say about that. Um, there's another resource that I want to give you before we bring our guest in, and that's Stealth Euthanasia, Health Care Tyranny. And it is a book that was written by Ron Panzer, who was a hospice nurse, and he saw firsthand what was happening. And he wrote this book. It relays the history of how we got here and what is happening. A very good resource. In Canada, there is, because we have more people enrolling and and being interested from Canada. So we have met last week, if you were on the call, we had Alex Schattenberg from Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. And their website is epcc.ca, or you can contact them at 855-675-8. So with that, I'll go ahead and bring in our guest in a minute. Um, My journey has taken me to new places and horizons as I continue to learn more. Um, Recently through our Facebook group, Murdered by Hospice, I met Robert Meyer, who's from Canada, and he was my guest uh, two weeks ago. Through him, I came across another Facebook group, a Canadian group called Hands of Hope, and um, Alessandro Presenza, I'm sorry, is the founder, and he has graciously taken me into their fold, and which has expanded my knowledge. Alex is another warrior speaking out against the atrocities of what's occurring with our elderly. So I encourage you to check out his group, Hands of Hope, and our group, Murdered by Hospice. Which leads me to my guest tonight, who is also a fellow warrior of Alex's. And this is Sparky Johnson, who is also from Canada. 
She has been an advocate for the elderly for years, and she works tirelessly making posters, traveling to various parts of Canada, peacefully protesting, educating families who don't know what's happening, and providing a listening ear and counseling those who have lost a loved one. She describes herself as an in-the-trenches woman doing research and nurturing the garden. As she says, you can't stop, you have to continue. She goes out weekly and spreads the truth. She stands for life, love, and truth. Sadly, she was not able to save her aunt Beverly Haynes, who at the age of 84 was in long-term care facility, where she was improperly cared for, which ultimately ended her life on February the 28th, 2020. Drugs, of course, were used to keep her bedridden and quiet, and you will hear how she was abused by the lack of care as Sparky walks us through what occurred, and she's going to talk about her advocacy work. She has been interviewed by Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast for her advocacy work, and I'm sure there are other resources she can tell us about where she has spoken up. So with that, I would like to turn it over to Sparky Johnson and let you tell us about your aunt and your advocacy. Yes, good evening, Marcia. Thank you for having me and for giving an opportunity to share share the light, share the story, share the truth, and uh, continue in the advocacy of bringing awareness and light and accountability to the world who is being kept in the dark. Okay, can you tell us, um, let's start with Aunt Beverly and let us know what happened with her, how this all came about with her death. Oh, it was a horror story from the time we got the call. A uh, call, she lived in her house independently with her partner who lived in the house down the street. Uh, we got a crisis call from her partner's family members saying that Aunt Bev had needed help. Now, Aunt Bev was a survivor of cancer for over 50 years, and her only issue was inflammation, uh, swelling, very much like a blowfish on the left side of her body, which compromised her mobility. So she basically she had gone off, gone to rehab, and in the process it was determined um, by everyone that being independent in the house as a senior with her partner, she required more assistance. So the house, house was sold. Uh, she was moved into long-term retirement care, and within weeks, the laws were broken there. They intimidated the family. They upped the fees. They said she couldn't reside there unless we hired people 24-7. And sadly, you know, the naivety of the world until you're put in a situation like that brings about undue stress and chaos and decisions. So then she ended up back in the hospital, going off to rehab, and then at the reti- upon returning to the home, they basically said she couldn't come back there. Uh, they had given a very short period of time. So she had returned to the retirement home, and they were making it hell for her 
and making it hell for the family because she didn't want to go down to the dining room. You know, she's a private person. She wanted to eat in her own apartment, and she wanted a lock on her door, and she wasn't feeling like a retirement home um, was safe for her compared to her house. From there, she ended up back in hospital. Um, Sadly, you know, Aunt Bev felt that you know, there were no other options, and in between the workers coming, she had gone and made her way to her purse and had taken a drug overdose in hopes of ending her life. Again, she had gone to hospital. The medication she had taken was from a prescription that was long expired, 10 years, that she had uh, taken out of her purse. And when she was found, she had been found on the floor, went to the hospital, and again, the home basically said she cannot reside here. So the retirement home in itself broke the law by infringing such unlawful, unjust intimidation aspects onto the family. So the long and the short of that is basically she was warehoused in the hospital. The family was convinced that there were no options, there were no choices, and that she had to go to long-term care. So, Can I interrupt um, for a second? Certainly. Okay. Um, I just want to make this clear to the listeners because you and I have talked um, previously a couple of times. But she was paying personal payment, 5000 a month, to stay in this retirement facility. What they then said is because she needed more help than they wanted to give, that they were going to raise that by $2,000, so she would then be paying 7000 for that month pay. So I wanted to make that clear so people understand it's costly, it, it's costly and, you know, it, it put her back in the hospital because she did take an overdose. She didn't want to live anymore because things were so depressing and sad for her. So, Correct. Go ahead. Correct. Okay. And the home said they never seen a case like it, you know, where a resident never wanted to come out of their unit. Well, keep in mind, she had only been there for a week. So, hmm. of course, it's going to take an adjustment after, you know, your house is gone, you're away from exactly. your partner. You don't know where you're going, what's happening. And, so and she was um, 84 at this time, right? She was. Uh, she would have been 83 when, it, when the journey started in okay. 2019 when the house was sold. Yes. Okay. So then she ended up in the hospital, and I call it warehoused, where, you know, in, in Canada, you know, if you're not deemed medical, then you pay the fees in the hospital that you would be paying at a long-term care facility. So from October 24th to January the 17th, she was warehoused in the hospital. She was drugged. It was a battle beyond most people's imaginations who haven't gone down this road with people before. They would find it absolutely unbelievable. and constantly at the nurse's station asking to see the doctor. Every day I was going in, it was getting worse. You know, they were using uh, dementia as the excuse. 
She had not had an assessment. She was basically seen as a senior, and she was written off as dementia, which was inaccurate because my argument and my stance was remove the drug and assess and evaluate the actual aspects because there were no flying chickens, firemen running across beds prior to her being drugged by the hospital. And that was and, with Seroquel, I believe, as you and I discussed, right? Yes. There was Okay, Seroquel so they were giving her Seroquel, yeah. which was causing her to have hallucinations. And that's yeah. why they, how they were to determine that she had dementia. Also, for those of us who are in the United States, um, Canada works a little bit different. I know we've got some Canadians listening, but what I've found is listening to y'all's group that you're a little bit different. And we have like a hospice or a nursing home facility. And in Canada, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like you called it the warehouse, hospital warehouse. They actually put them, instead of putting them like in a nursing home, they're put in a wing in the hospital. And that's kind of what's like what we think of as a nursing home. And so you're not getting any uh, care. Basically, you're just a resident. Is that right? Yes. Uh, clarification, because there is such a long wait list for long-term care, I call them facilities because they are not homes, um, mm-hmm. you know, because there is such a wait list, then more often than not, people end up in, a, in emergency with non-medical issues where the hospitals here warehouse them. And basically because they're non-medical, then they don't get any other attention other than by majority of my years and decades experience being drugged and left in beds to rot. And many times they don't even make it to long-term care because they're dead before they even leave the hospital. And I'm sorry I have to be harsh in my words. It's there's there's comes a time in life where the sensitivity and the pussy footing and the words just aren't cutting it anymore is, you know, the shock factor is people need to wake up and people need to be aware what is happening in these warehousing facilities that can be retirement homes, that can be hospitals, that that can be long-term cares. And statistically, our 85% of the long-term care, I don't know the percentage of retirement homes or the hospitals, but basically, and I stand on a very firm ground saying Canada has given license to kill, mm-hmm. where corporations are not held accountable, there is no justice, the liability the, the blame is put on to families. There is just no justice. It's like uh, it's corruption, it's dictation, uh, it's a form of abuse. And it's not only for those that, are, that have people available to advocate for, but imagine those that do have people to advocate, imagine all those that don't. Mm-hmm. And the horror of the death of people going out back doors and nobody knowing because there is no transparency. There is no accountability. There is no justice, which which is horrifying. So the calling people out to light and truth and awareness just isn't about targeting a government who for decades has, as I will say, given license to kill. 
It is around the police departments who are not serving and protecting. It is about this country that is not standing on guard for thee. Well, there are those of us who, you know, live, eat, die, and breathe to advocate for the rights of the most vulnerable to try to serve and protect and to actually stand on guard for them. In my aunt's case, it was so severe, you know, that I actually hired people to sit beside her bed 24-7 because of the terror and the horror and the fear that she had while I was running around, I was getting in my car to go to McDonald's to get ice cubes for her because nobody in the facility had a key, you know, for the kitchen. I was bringing blankets in from my home. I was bringing cups in from my home. It was just, it was, I use the expression, one fire after another, one bomb after another, going, my God, people, I understand what is going on, but if you guys don't rise up, stand up, speak up, show up for the rights of these people, then you are as much in violation as the corporations who have set you guys up to fail since day one. If you don't come together and stand up with everything that you guys are sharing with me, that's wrong. There was a PSW there that had just returned that was put on modified service her and one other person. Well, if you're on modified and you're not to be lifting or moving and you're only working with one other person and there's 30-some-odd people on that floor, then what is your choice? You either leave your coworker to do it, which is in violation of the care plans, or you do it and you end up hurt yourself because the corporation is not there to protect you. They're there to say, you need to come back to work will put you on modified, but it's not realistic because the staff has not been provided. What What is PSW? Uh, PSW is the Personal Support Workers. Okay. So often, like I was saying, you know, I was there on a regular basis. I'd be talking to the DOC saying, why is nobody getting her out of bed? Why has she not been changed? Why has she not been bathed? You know, why is her lips stuck together? Why is there no liquid here? Why is she telling me she's hungry? Why is there no food? Why is there no snack? And it was it was one thing after another. If you know, for many people who have have children, you know, the needs that are required by individuals who are vulnerable in situations is the assistance. And when the assistants in these so-called facilities are there to empower, support, and bring dignity and respect and quality to whatever remaining time is left in a person's life, it's worse than hell to be in any of these facilities. Our people have spoken up for decades in surveys, questionnaires, where over 90% who have been asked the question on whether or not they would want to go into a long-term care facility have clearly said no. We have advocated for alternative home care, reallocation of funds, smaller 
smaller home-like atmospheres, very much like group homes. You know, if you are a child and you go in a group home, usually there's 8 to 12 kids and there's 3 to 4 staff. You do the math, you do the equation, that gives, give or take, that works out to, you know, 4 kids for one staff member. Where in long-term care or even hospitals, you know, I expect it to be different in a hospital versus long-term care. But when you have the equations of, you know, I got a message last night that one worker had 38 residents alone. That's health, safety, well-being. And I guarantee you, those 38 people, people paid the price last night. And mark my words, you know, I don't have the proof or the evidence, but I'm sure if I call that person back today, I will hear that somebody was severely compromised last night because that person was put in that situation to monitor 38 residents by herself, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which makes her job impossible. Absolutely. There's no way... Pardon? There's no way that she's going to go in and be able to get people up to the potties, you know, get them fed properly if they nope. are running a fever or if they, you know, a call button or anything like that. It's not going to happen. No. It looks good in the daytime. You know, at many of these facilities, you have your management, you have your occupational therapist, your You know, you have a team aboard. You have activation. Now, whether or not it's actually in place and utilized, the ratio is still impossible as far as being able to provide the activation, the stimulation, and the motivation. If you've got one activation worker on site for a facility of 330 people, there is no way in an eight-hour shift that one worker can do activation for 330 people because the workers are going to be too busy to move them. There, it's just it's just not realistic. It's not feasible. No. It's not realistic. It's not it's sustainable. Not. not maintainable. It's 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 just unrealistic. And they are very very well aware. This is not new news. That's a common line I say. This is not new news, but this is news that needs to stay forefront. And it doesn't matter to me for how many more decades. The light and the truth of the horror that is happening behind closed doors needs to be brought to the attention and the awareness of the general public because the news is giving us cropped information, edited information, selective truth, and many lies to create the the convolution, the chaos, the havoc, which just has people being sheeple, you know, followers. Oh, absolutely. And I don't absolutely. Say that. Um, yes. it, it, it definitely to needs to be exposed. Yeah, it has to be exposed. And and I want to get back to your advocacy. I, I want to get back to that. But let's go back to um, Aunt Bev, and then yes. then I want to delve into the advocacy. Um, so when she left the hospital, she had a um, hot spot. I'd like for you to um, talk about that. So. A hot spot means just a red, a red spot, and it was approximately the size of a dime, which means it's not an open sore. There is no open sore. Now, jumping ahead a little bit from January 17th 
to February 28th, the evening of her death, less than six weeks in a long-term care facility. This woman is dead, literally with a hole in her back half the size of a football down to her bone. We didn't get a call. And although I was there regularly, consistently, I openly admit that when I was there, you know, like I said, I was running around, putting fires out, had people hired midway to sit with her. I was not looking under the sheets at her bottom. Right, I didn't right. hire people to go in and do the job of what her, she is already paying to have done by the facility who employs their own employees. It was to keep her safe. They were to be my eyes and my ears. So I was not aware. The family did not receive a phone call until such time that she had already had a hole in her back half the size of a football. And if I can add at this point, um, Sparky sent me the pictures, and she is not exaggerating. I mean, this is the worst neglect and bed sore I have ever, ever seen in my entire life. And it is down to the bone, and it's, it's, it will make you ill because she was neglected. And if you can imagine the pain that your Aunt Bev felt while she was laying in a bed, probably in her own feces and urine, because they're not going to get them up and take them to the bathroom. They just and they've drugged them, so half the time they're asleep anyway. This was this is un, this is so inhumane. It makes me so angry. So you, that's something that people need to hear when you're talking about this, Sparky. Is you were not mm-hmm. checking under the covers. You were not checking her physical body out even though the nurse came in and you know, kept looking at her toes um, for the color change. But that's something that we all need to be aware of. I was not until you said that, you know, you and I talked about it, because mm-hmm. with my mom I didn't do that because I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of things that I know now. This is incredibly important. If your person, your loved one, is in a hospital facility or nursing home, long-term care, whatever, you have to also play the role of being a nurse or doctor, and you're going to have to look to see that your loved one is being properly cared for. Yes, very that important. is so, so true, Marcia. You know, the things we learn in hindsight, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to say it has added to the learning, to the advocacy, to what I share with other people as you do. I mean, keeping in mind that she went in on January 17th with a red spot, which is also called a hot spot, the size of a dime. They acknowledged it during the assessment and said, oh, you know, we have a protocol in place to to ensure that it doesn't turn into a bed sore and we do this, 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 and this. The fam- When I just mentioned that the family did not get a call until there was a hole in her back half the size of a football, I'm looking at the letter that I've sent around worldly, and we were notified on February the 5th. So between January 17th and February the 5th, that picture that I shared with you, that is how quickly and the extensiveness by, I'm going to call it 
neglect, and abuse. And I stand grounded and founded to avoid any such chance of a lawsuit of defamation that I stand on the Canadian laws, and it's called failure to provide the basic necessities of life is, in fact, an indictable and criminal offense in Canada. And that is my stance. That is my argument. That is my education. I, I, I can't go around calling people killers or murderers, but I can stand on the constitution of the laws that will give me the grounds to be able to get out there and educate people with the awareness and the facts and the history and the truth and the knowledge by the evidence that has been acquired, the pictures, the videos, the documentation, the people that were hired to be there around the clock, to be my eyes and my ears and to report things and call me and text me, you know, anything. So it's just, it, it, it's horrifying, like I said, to have learned in hindsight to check under the sheets. And right. one of the, as I'm learning, it's quite common. I got some stats in last night around homes and sores and how it has increased majorly percentage-wise. Well, again, this is not... And this is not about the virus call, the COVID talk, but currently and presently in the existence of the last year of COVID and the countless lives that are being lost because families are kept out, this goes to neglect and abuse. This is not, for me, a virus that is killing people. This is the reality of the decades and decades that people have been fighting against these corporations who are getting rich off the backs and the lives of our loved ones. And I will say, you know, with Canada giving license to kill, these corporations getting richer, it's you follow the money. It's sad as it is to say it so harshly and so cold, is there is no profit to be made off the living in these facilities. It's a hamster wheel. The funds are allocated. They get their money. They're all connected in some way or another as shareholders, stakeholders, that they get paid. You know, in one pocket, into another, but not into the lives and the quality, the dignity, the care, the respect for the people who are being housed in these facilities, nor the workers. Mm-hmm. It's not only the residents that are victimized. It is the workers who are also put in situations that become compromised by their integrity, their calling to the care field, the helping field, that are put on a battlefield basically without the ability to be able to care for the residents the way they need to be cared for. They are set up to fail from day one. And with Aunt Bev, it, it's, you know, it's not just about Aunt Bev. It's about the countless thousands and thousands and thousands that has gone on for decades. You know, I've taken video footage. I was at the police station in her living reporting 
neglect and abuse and saying somebody needs to go to that home. You are hired to serve and protect. And if I were in my home and I was calling the police station about neglect and abuse happening in a neighbor's house, you would show up. So you call the police and they don't come. Or you call the police and they phone the executive director and say, how are things going at that end? The executive director says, oh, fine, and nothing comes of anything. It's it's horrendous. So not only did I stand for Aunt Bev in her living by following the procedure, having being responsible, going to the police station, filing reports around neglect and abuse, concerned for her safety, health, and well-being, saying, help, help, that they did nothing. I called them the evening that she died because I had said to them prior in the station, if somebody does not show up here and put the fear and the wrath of God in these facilities, people are going to continue to die and my aunt is going to be dead. And to no amazement, to no shock, she died. So I did call the police the night she died. The police and I did have a standoff. I did ask to leave the room and talk down the hallway because Aunt Bev did have a roommate and I was being courteous and respectful um, or attempting to be for Aunt Bev's roommate. They refused to leave the room and it just, it it turned into uh, yet an addition to the nightmare. And that's when I basically said to them, she is not going out of this facility until there is a coroner on site and there is an autopsy done. And there is not going to be any ifs, ands, or buts. So if nobody is laying a hand on Aunt Bev, God rest her soul, other than a coroner who is going to come in and I am going to advocate that this woman, knowing that seniors don't very often get autopsies, that's a very slim thing. You know, if a senior dies, well, you know, that's what happens when we get older, right? right? Mm -hmm. So I advocated. So the coroner did come in. He did explain to me, you know, most seniors don't get autopsies and gave me the spiel, and I said, you know, I understand that. And the punchline to that story is once he rolled her over, he approached me and he said, yes, there is going to be an autopsy. And she was sent into Toronto forensics uh, that evening. She wasn't even held at the um, funeral home overnight. She went directly to Toronto in an evidence bag. And I had to wrestle with that only for a hair of a second because she had already endured such such torture, even with me there trying to protect her. It's You know, I gave it every single thing I had, and it wasn't enough. And I can accept that it's not my responsibility that she did die. I am just so grateful that I was there to be the advocate for her and that she did not die alone. Mm-hmm. So since then... Well, some- no, pardon? Well, I was going to say, sometimes we can do as much as we know to do, and, and you probably had more information at that time than many others, but the one thing that I've found is you can't allow yourself to feel the guilt when that happens 
because most of us don't know. And even if yeah. you do know or you do suspect something, you should always raise a red flag. If it seems suspicious, you should always raise the flag. But in today, because we're talking about it and because of COVID and the situation in the nursing homes, we've heard more and more about the abuse, and that's why people need to be digging into it. Knowledge is power, and they need to be seeking the truth. And don't turn a blind eye to it. Don't bury your head. When you realize that something's going on, then it is prudent that you check into it, find out the facts, and do what you can but if you've done all you can, you can't feel guilty about it, or if you didn't know what was going on, you can't allow yourself to carry that guilt. It isn't yours to bear. Yes. You know, the fear is being instilled into people so severely that sadly it's the fear that is preventing people from speaking up. And a lot of my advocacy is exactly reiterating what you say, Marcia about empowering people into Mm -hmm. the light, into the truth, into speaking up, into being the voice. You know, voices of those who cannot speak for themselves along, voices of those in building in numbers to be able to stand up for people. I mean, another experience with Aunt Bev was, you know, in between... um, me leaving there, coming home, tending to another situation, we'd got a phone call that Aunt Bev was on the floor. And this was prior to when I had hired the full-time. And this is what initiated me, actually, into saying, you know what, don't think, just do. If I'm that concerned, like you just said, the flag goes up, I'm a woman that needs action, and I need to do something. So we got the call that Aunt Bev had been on the floor. And it's kind of like, well, how is that possible? At this point, she has already been so severely compromised. They're basically, you know, she's dehydrated. She's the starvation, the lack of activation, stimulation, motivation beyond what I was doing and able to do, as I said, while I'm running around the facility, running out to get ice cubes. It's going, if this woman could not flip you the finger, how does she end up on the floor? Somebody dropped her. Correct. So I asked Aunt Bev, I said, Aunt Bev, what happened? She said, the bed broke. So Aunt Bev's story is that the bed broke, where their story is she must have slipped off the sheet and fallen on the floor. So when I've since then ordered those reports from the home there's no incident reports in there about her being on the floor well protocol rules and regulations mm-hmm. state that incident reports are required exactly. so where is it i've bought and paid for all these records you know much of the records have been falsified uh, there are complete flat out lies where i can see that people are trying to save their job because if they actually tell the truth, then poop's going to hit the fan. And you go, wow, like seriously, people, where is your integrity? Where is your your vow to serve and protect, to stand on guard for people, to give people the best care and quality of life? 
I mean, part of the role of PSWs and nurses and administration is to be advocacy for the vulnerable. It is to be in the truth. It is to provide the care. It's not to stand down to corporations for the sake of getting a paycheck and and turn a blind eye as to what we know is happening. People are being drugged. People are being left in beds to rot. And, again, I'm sorry, there is no sensitivity to that after you've been advocating for as long as I have and pussy-footed to try to gently introduce people to it. There is no more time for pussy-footing. The severity of the lives that are being compromised is enough, is enough. Right. One is too many in a thousand, too many, that these people have to be stopped. These corporations have to be challenged. These homes need to be shut down. And police need to be held accountable. Ministry of Health needs to be held accountable. Government needs to be held accountable. There needs to be justice. And the change that needs to happen is not about throwing one or two more staff in these facilities and upping their pay a couple of dollars because that will not resolve the issue around the neglect and the abuse and the profit maximizing off our vulnerable. Well, it's like you said, you know, earlier, there's there's a whole lot of different facets to this, right? You have the people who are unethical, immoral, who have no compassion, and you're going to find that in every walk of life. Now, why it is in the nursing arena, I don't get that because I would think that, you know, if you want to be around the elderly, that you do it because you have a you know, passion for the individuals. But also what you mentioned earlier is you had all of these patients or all of these residents with one or two people, and that goes back to the profit margin, is they're more interested in how much money they can make rather than the care that they should be giving to the individual residents. And didn't you say that if for your in the, when they're in the hospital – I think you said that they pay, they have to pay for that. So it's not like in the U.S. where you can just stay in the hospital as long as you need to be there. But she was there for set from October to January. But you That's said it. she has to pay. So was she paying like $5,000 a month to be in the hospital? Is that No. So what happened? So once you're on medical and you are on a wait list for a long-term care facility, then basically what they tend to do is say, okay, hypothetically, if a, if a long-term care facility is 2000 a month and you're in a hospital and you're waiting for a bed at a long-term care, then the hospital will start charging you the $2,000 a month because you're non-medical. Okay. And if you were okay. in long-term, you'd be paying that. So. Okay. And yes, that's not like it's a, you know, you're not staying in a hotel where somebody's, you know, bringing exactly. you... Um, you know, maid service and, you know, whatever you want a la carte. That That's not what's happening. It's you're in a hospital and you get the same, you know, cold food, whatever that you're getting in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But they're understaffed, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of when she was in the long-term care facility, and it's about profit margins. 
and oh, that's kind of what I was getting at. She was she had to pay to be in the hospital. Now, once she goes to long-term care, she's still having to pay private funds to be in long-term care. What happens when, because she did have her house to sell, and I'm just curious the difference between the yep. U.S. And, and Canada, but what happens when all of the money that she has from her estate is gone? What Do you have, like, Medicaid, or what happens to her? We uh, OHIP. Uh, Again? OHIP is the... Yes, so it's paid for, it's supplemented by the government. So basically how it works is, say, you get your old age old age pension and Canadian pension plan is they take everything from it other than what you call uh, PNA, which is personal needs allowance, which allots you $127, I believe, in 15 cents. Now, don't quote me. It's probably gone up in the last year. But basically, they, they take your pension from you, and that goes towards the facility. And what you are allowed to keep is the $127 for your personal needs. So say you're diabetic and you need diabetic strips. Well, they don't provide them. You have to pay for them. You Out of that 127 for, or whatever it is. Yes. Okay. Say, for example, they want you on vitamin D. Well, I could go to Walmart and bought a, buy a bottle of vitamin D for $4.99 and get 100 tablets, where they will turn around and say, okay, that will cost you $20 a month for vitamin D. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I could bring you a bottle of vitamin D. No, you cannot bring outside um, drugs into the facility. Well, what is the difference? You have an outside pharmacist delivering it to you, and if I deliver a sealed bottle from, you know, a store that is three times cheaper than what you're charging and taking from a person's pension, then this is highway robbery yet again. And just another prime example, right? Right, right. It's, It's just the... The chaos is, is you know, uh, just, yeah, it's, uh, you know, she was supposed to have been being rotated on a regular basis. Well, you can't rotate a person on a regular basis if you don't have the people. And, you know, this has nothing to do with me other than the reality that, um, you know, uh, uh, as a stroke survivor, left side paralysis, I can do a lot of things. But when it comes to the health and safety and well-being of somebody, you know, in a facility, then they need to be doing it, not me. That's correct. Right. You know, it, it's a challenge. It's one thing when you have somebody at home, you improvise. But in a facility where somebody is already paid and there are people there to do it, then you utilize what is there and you don't. Mm-hmm. put a person in that situation unnecessarily, right? That, to me, right. is just common sense. Call bells. I mean, the call bell's on the floor. Well, how is this woman supposed to get the call bell if she now cannot get out of bed without assistance? It's it, the other it's thing. It's neglect. You know, it is. Within four weeks or six weeks of her being there, Marsha, the bed did break four times. I was on to them about the beds breaking. I was on to them about having a proper mattress for the now ulcer 
that had been identified. That oh, okay. Once you found it, out it, about it, it actually okay. break four times. And when I go through the notes and I look for that, of course, there's no notes around. Now, did they broke. try? Did I'm sorry. Did they try to treat the wound once you were made aware of it? Yes. Yes, and what it came down to was we got a call and we were given the option. She can be sent over to a hospital where they will debry it and she will be sent back to the facility. And she will do that on a weekly basis going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until such time. And or the second option was because they did not have any wound care staff at this facility it was somebody through community care called Lynn, a nurse practitioner that goes around from facility to facility that could do the treatment in the facility without having to displace her or traumatize her or uproot her back and forth any more than the chaos she had already gone through since the beginning of the story of leaving her house. Right. So that's and the option y'all did. So the other niece said to, her, said to uh, the nurse practitioner, put yourself in our situation as if this was your mother and we are not going to hold you to this. What would you do? And he assured us that he was qualified and trained and that the hospital would not do any more for her than what he was going to do for her and basically his answer was I would keep her here and we'll do the debridement here on site and we went wow okay and we went with that decision instead of uprooting her and traumatizing her any more than this woman had been traumatized since the, be the beginning of this nightmare that began for her that just manifested into the intensity and gates of hell beyond, as I say, most people's imaginations. So we and kept it didn't her really help. I mean, what he did at no. that point, it was so severe. It was far gone. You're, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a year or so worth of healing of a normal person who could get yes. up and move around and get the blood flowing, which Aunt Bev was not capable of doing. No, and that's where it's, she needed the assistance. But yeah. because of the adverse effects of the warehousing facilities that provide neglect and abuse, not quality of life or care, you know, people diminish. And, yes, I admit the older we are, the harder it is to come back from. But if you don't have the support and you don't have the help and they're in these so-called facilities to provide that, it's like, you know, drinking from a tap that has no water. It right. sets them up. I mean, one of the other drugs they had her on um, was Zoloft. And she was supposed to have been taken off that medication. And to my understanding, she had been taken off of it. Lo and behold, to my knowledge, when I was advocating for the med, the med sheets, finding out that she was still on Zoloft, going... She was supposed to be off this. What is she doing on it? Why is she on this? 
when you guys were told to take her off of this. You do not have our consent. And you are going against the power of attorneys of care. The other niece was primary power of attorney with another niece. They had verbally given consent um, to the facilities, both the hospital and the home, that I had just as much power as they did without my name being on the paper. And the reason for that was the family was still working full-time. I, you know, you could say retired uh, due to having been stroked out, and I'm also much closer to the facility that Aunt Bev was in. So I had full authority. Now, one thing I will say, you know, I believe in giving credit where credit is due, is the director of care of this particular facility was newer to the facility, not new to the field, and she did everything humanly possible to help and assist and guide, stuck memos out to staff. They were not listening. You know, she was very open, very caring, very supportive, very receptive. She herself, as director of care, would bring ice cubes, would bring a ginger ale, would put the memo out, would advise her staff to do things. So I, like I said, give credit where credit is due. You know, God loved that woman as a director of care because she came into a facility of health. Apora. So it was, um, was. After now, there's one story I would like to share with you, Marcia, and it's on my my advocacy poster, and it's called the Last Supper. So, in okay. advocating to ask to see a dietitian, never saw a dietitian. You know, I was concerned with the with the deterioration of Aunt Bev, what was happening, that I had went to the nurses, I had talked about um, minced, minced meals, because she was getting weaker from, I'm going to say, medication, being drugged. If you stay drugged long enough, you're going to become dehydrated. You're going to become starved. That is going to compromise your chewing. So... Getting to the punchline of the Last Supper is on the day of February 28th, Aunt Bev should have been on pureed food by then. I have a picture on my poster marked the Last Supper. She was served Caesar salad, lasagna, and garlic bread. Solid. Wow. And supposed to be on puree. Because somebody said, I don't understand, Sparky. Why do you have a picture of lasagna on a poster beside that hole in her back half the size of a football? I said, because that was her last supper. They said, well, it looks pretty good. I said, yeah, but you know what the problem is? And they said, no. I said, she was on pureed. So by the time it came and I went down to the nurse's station, the kitchen was closed and there was no food on site left for her. And nothing had been made for her. No. That, um, not not to take away from that, and I totally get what you're saying. When my mom was in a nursing home for rehabilitation for um, a month, she was supposed to be, she had had paralytic ileus, if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that, while she was in the hospital, and that had supposedly been resolved, and she went to the nursing home. I got a call late that night from 
another resident who was in her room, her mom was there, and we had been there, and we had gotten home, and we'd been home like half an hour, and I got a call from her to come back. Mom's was spitting up, you know, like coffee grounds, which is actually spitting up feces because they can't mm-hmm. you know, can't go mm-hmm. the other direction, so it comes up. Sure. And she was supposed to, that day when she first went to the hospital, to the nursing home, she was supposed to be given a liquid diet because they had just gotten over that and she was supposed to have like jello and, and broth soup. They gave her cold sloppy joes for dinner that night. Oh my gosh. And I said she's supposed to be on a liquid diet and it was cold and we brought in, you know, jello and, you know, bringing things into her. But same thing, there was total disregard for the fact that this elderly person is here and is supposed to be on a liquid diet, in Aunt Bev's case, on puree food, they Mm -hmm. don't care. No. They don't care. So can we... I mean, um, I asked the doctor that was supposed to be there every Friday, and in uh those six weeks of me being there almost on a daily basis and or having hired people to call me and say the doctor's on site, because I said I want to see... In six weeks, I never met a doctor. Mm-mm. I never saw a dietitian. So where are these so-called people that are supposed like to be there? Cash in their paycheck. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. I mean, so can you, I went um, in there. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I wanted you, I don't want to lose time here, but um, can yep, you yep, talk sure. about your advocacy what you know? What you have been doing, even before this time, you were doing this, and I want to point out to the audience. Um, you heard Be- um, Sparky say this a few minutes ago, but she had a stroke and she's partially paralyzed, and she's in a wheelchair. And I want you to hear as she's talking about this. I want you to keep that in mind because people are always saying, "Well, what can I do? I don't know what I can do," and you know it's limited. This lady does what she's fixing to tell you that she does on a weekly basis, and she's in a wheelchair, and she's partially paralyzed. It has not stopped this warrior from advocating for the elderly, for your mom, your dad, your siblings, aunts, uncles. So I just want you to keep that in mind. As she's, That's why I call her a true warrior. So um, go ahead. Sparky, tell us what it is that you do on a weekly basis. Well, it's actually not just on a weekly basis. It's on a daily basis. On a weekly basis, there is a group of us that have been traveling around the province of Ontario uh, doing double hitter, meaning two facilities in one day, and outing any facilities, be it a retirement home, a hospital, or a long-term care facility, that there is neglect and abuse. And we are factual and we are actual. We gather our information from residents, from family members, from employees, from the Ministry of Health, from what's out there publicly, what's known about the companies, And as I stated earlier on in our conversation, it's 85% of these facilities. We're not going through a phone book hitting every single one for the sake of hitting them. We are hitting any facilities that are warranting the truth to be told around the horror, the abuse, 
and the neglect that is going on behind closed doors so that when we get confronted, you know, be it confronted by management that will approach us and ask us what we're doing there, then we are founded and grounded in saying why we are there. And if they are challenging in any way, we give them copies to say, you may think where you work is wonderful, and this is not a personal target against the employees here. In fact, we are here advocating not on only on behalf of the residents, but on behalf of the staff and the management, some of the management who is put in these predicaments that is causing the death, the unnecessary deaths and the neglect and the abuse of these residents. So that is the weekly aspect, and we have endured all the weather. Every, We're a very small group of peaceful warriors. Every one of us in the group has had a loved one die. Uh, some people have come to protest and be in the group because they've come to the realization or had the awakening in losing their loved one as to what is wrong with the system. So there's all levels of experience in the small group of us that have been traveling around. But all seven to ten of us have had loved ones um, pass due to the neglect and abuse. We have one woman who is actually a retired PSW who worked in facilities who is there because of that who is speaking up and speaking out. So that is what is done on a weekly basis amongst other advocacy and protests that I attend on the side for truth and light around, you know, vaccinations, masks. Again, it all comes down to education, knowledge, and awareness. And if you're only given one side of a story, then ethically and morally and by my own integrity, in order for a person to be able to make an informed decision, then they need to have all the pieces of the story and then they need to be empowered and supported to realize that they have a voice, they have a spirit, and it is only by having all the information that people can make their own decision. But more often than not, people aren't necessarily interested in that. So it has been a lifelong calling and a mission that many would attest to that I have spent my life doing, you know, from my first protest at 12. Um, You know, when I should have been in school, I I was two hours away from my place in a city protesting. (laughs) And, you know, it was a funny story because I was off protesting and when I got home from school, or when I got home from the protest, the family had said, how was school? Yeah, how was school? Oh, it was fine. Any homework? <laughs> no. Well, lo and behold, guess who the media targeted? You know, the 12-year-old kid that's supposed to be in school, that's two mm-hmm. or hours away, you know, standing on a sidewalk downtown Toronto protesting. <laughs> so Busted. I've always had the calling to to stand up for the vulnerable you know, to bring the the knowledge, the empowerment, the education, the awareness to support, to show up, to be there. You know, as you said, yes, stroked out, March 11, 212, left side paralysis. 
it, you know, it was a battle. It was a battle because my own personal experience was I was dropped off after a long battle with lawyers involved because I, too, would have been left to die in a hospital, drugged, shipped home on a gurney with no resources, no wheelchair, nothing in place, back in hospital, lawyers got involved, I ended up getting care, had to sign an agreement that I would stop advocating and stop fighting, and I was delivered at the age of 48 to a long-term care facility. Needless to say, you know, you imagine being taken out of the ambulance and transported into this place, and you're kind of going, wow, this is different, and you're surrounded by seniors, and you're like, where am I? What's going on? What's happening? Um, What did I just sign? What did I just agree to? Going, wow, nobody, you know, they negated or evaded to tell me that I was being sent to a long-term care facility at the age of 48. Which How is long the were you there? Of not just about seniors. It's about the vulnerable. It's about warehousing the disabled, the mentally challenged, the developmental in these facilities. You know, our group just went to Niagara Falls to a facility where a 39-year-old man who is not dying, was not dying, asked to have made the medical-assisted death. He sacrificed his life for his family because of all the havoc and chaos on these lockdowns, keeping families away from their loved ones. Isolation is killing. Not only are they killing by medical medical means and medications by zombifying people, as I say. You know, again, not a sensitive word, but if you zombify them, then you don't have to feed them, you don't have to change them, you don't have to clean them, you don't have to worry about them ringing call bells because you've turned them into a vegetative state and the corporations have saved money on cleaning, food, dietitian, doctors, you name it. That's right. And that's why we went to Niagara Falls. So when I say that we go where the facilities are warranted, there's a lot of work from week to week that needs to be done to ensure that we are being factual and actual when we get to these two locations. And they're a distance. You're traveling a distance. Yes. And as you've said, there are many cases there's nowhere to sleep, so you have to go in the day and then turn around and drive back home, you know, like three hours well, or so. There's also no washrooms because you, a lot of the facilities don't let you in. It's drive-through. Oh, so fortunately, right. you know, I joke because the seven to ten of us that travel, you know, we kind of jokingly say we're campers. We don't mind, you know, we often joke and say it'd be easier to be a guy or a dude at that time, you know, whip out and have a really quick pee, you know, opposed right. to women who have to, we got to drop our pants. But fortunately, behind we a tree. don't really say we're campers. We're campers. So, you know, but yeah, that's the, the difference between the guys and the girls, right? So, and those right. are the obstacles. So even, like I said, we've weathered every storm. We haven't missed a week. And we haven't stopped, 
me personally, having the calling to this, to light and truth, as I'd sooner die with my head held high in light and truth, even if it meant I had to walk this planet alone, than turn around and and be an ostrich with my head in the sand. Or it's abandon just, people. Yes. I, I, just, right. I, I can't. I, that would compromise. I couldn't lay my head down at night with all the information and experience and knowledge and hang on to it. You know, as a, as a First Nations Indian woman, and I can say Indian as an Indian, um, that's the web of life, is the teachings, is the stories, is in the sharing and the giving. It's not in the holding and the packing and the tucking away. It's the universal cycle of once you put out, you, it always comes back. So I never walk the planet alone, you know. For me, with my creator and for me, with my, my faith and my hope and my foundation and my spirit, is I'm not alone. There are many needles to be found. It, it needles to be found like a needle in a haystack. And that's what, you know, even having met you, um, even with Alex and I having come together with a few others and put the group together last year, you know, in all this establishing and forming and developing and connecting is right. we have a responsibility to this earth and to this planet, and that's the Indian coming out of me, that we have been it's given expansion. a gift and opportunity. Pardon? It's expansion. I yes, mean, you start is. out something small, and then you realize... I'm not alone, and it's happening to these people, and it happened to this one. And then all of a sudden you realize that it is a global issue, and it is incumbent on all of us to talk about it, to tell people, to warn people. Because if you don't, you're complicit in the lies. Yes. Yes. So I I, I want you to touch on Maria Sardellis. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, very quick, quickly, though, I just want to say one thing about the Warrior Advocacy Crusade site. I started okay. that last year as I felt I had a, a need and a calling that I needed to be doing more. I'm not a computer tech person. I'm a woman of the trenches, you know. Throw me in a, in a pit, ask me to look for something, and you can be guaranteed I'll, I'll find it for you. So I started that site for that, the Warrior Advocacy Crusade, as well as it being is, involved. With, pardon me? Is that a website or that's a, a Facebook group? That is a Facebook. I'm, I'm currently in okay. the process of having a web designer create a web page so that it will be much more uh, clearly focused opposed to the Facebook so the Facebook okay, for me so, is the resource library. So it's and Warrior it's Advocacy Crusade. Crusade. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. And there's more to it, but if people type that in, then the whole thing will come up. The actual name of the site is Warrior Advocacy Crusade, All Senior Lives Matter, Seniors Before Profit. Okay. Yes. So, right. But if you do the Warrior Advocacy Crusade, it comes up. And just right. quickly touching, I'm part of another group called SSAO, 
Senior Social Action of Ontario, and that is with a long-time advocate, decades of individuals who have been fighting this as well for alternative options and care to the seniors. So I often, often refer people to these solid, 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 reputable, sustainable sites of lifetime advocates such as myself. Okay. As far as Maria Sardellis goes, you know, Maria and I met, and when I say met, you know, I'm grateful for technology uh, in some aspect because she lives six hours away from where I live, is um, Maria's story caught my attention as a woman who was served a no trespass order for advocating when she went to see her mother in a retirement home. Her mother's in a retirement home. She went to see because Maria is also, as I will call her, a warrior woman of truth, light, and advocacy. She spoke up. So she was served no trespass order. She was kept away from her mother. And you can find our stories also on CBC Marketplace. And I know for our family story, CBC Marketplace, October 23rd, 8 p.m. airing, was our family story around Aunt Bev, and they didn't show any graphics. And Maria Sardellis, CBC Marketplace News, and others have followed her as well. So if somebody types in Maria Sardellis, they can see the story and the horror and the tragedies that she is still facing by the manipulation and destruction of corporations trying to break a person. So the other part of Maria Sardellis' story, you know, is the home actually filed a $42 million lawsuit against her for defamation of character which is horrifying because this is going to be history made in Canada one way or the other, whether it's a win or whether it's a lose. If the home wins, it sets precedence, which is yet another weapon against families. If they lose, God willing, it's a foundation that we as citizens will be able to stand on if they continue to try to do what they have done to Maria Sardellis. Like, that is drawing at straws when you have corporations that will turn around, and much yeah. like Bev's case in ordering all, all of Aunt Bev's reports, is the lies, the deceptions, the falsified documentation, the missing aspects. So this, for the sake of Canada, you know, and global when it comes to court cases, right? So, you know, I've been in touch with Maria, you know, offered up the support, you know, when she shared some of what was going on behind closed doors, I said, hey, you know what, you're four, six hours away, you can't get something that you need for your mother, let me know, let me make some phone calls, do you have a fishing rod, you can put the line out the window, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll attach the wet naps or the depends or I'll, we'll figure it out, and then fortunately, you know, things worked out, that she got some of the things that she, she was being deprived of because of all the politics that stood in the way. But, you her know, mother? perhaps someone that you may want to speak with. 
Yeah, her mother because got she has, things that she needed? Somebody did. Yeah, in order. Okay, but her mother's right still alive. Fill in her story. Yeah, I, it wouldn't be right for me to fill in her story. Okay, and but her mother it, is still alive, right? Her mother is still alive, yes. Can Which she see her? Us, pardon? Can she now see her? Yes, yes. Or no? Yes, she can, because the mother okay. is no longer in the same facility because okay. they evicted her. They evicted gotcha. the 90-plus-year-old mother okay. after all gotcha. of it. So it's been, you know, one tragic story of an Aunt Bev and the many, many thousands, billions more to the Maria Sardellises, to the people whose loved ones are still alive, you know, I spoke with somebody who wants to take their loved one out, and because they can't get in, they're not letting that person out. And now it's become a battle. And, of course, with the courts delayed, this person is just trying to save their loved one and get them out of the home. But if you can't get in the home to get them out and the home won't give them to you, then there's a war. There right. Comes. They're being held hostage. They're being held hostage. So these are the calls. Like I was saying, getting up and advocating and going out weekly for, with the warrior group for the L- L- long-term care protests, retirement homes and hospitals. The other day is, you know, other protests in regards to education, knowledge, facts, history around masks, vaccines, education. The rest of the week is phone calls, letters, supporting people looking for people, guiding people, getting information for people, helping people write letters, petitions, being involved in the groups. Uh, You know, I'm involved with Take Action Canada as part of the core group, and there are certain groups that I am committed to that are action-packed, that are about taking initiative and not per se just sitting back and gathering information, knowledge, and sharing, which I think is fantastic because people need that information. But the other aspects of, okay, educate here, this group, delegate. Delegate, educate, allocate, and get her done. Get up, get out. You know, that's my mantra. You know, I will not stand down. I will not be silenced. I will not go away. And I I do not stand in fear. And that's all there is to it. So with somebody and you like make a Maria, difference. Absolutely. Just believing that it's, you know, the mantra of you plant the seed and you have the faith and the foundation and the trust that the world will nurture it. I don't have time to stay and tend to the one seed that I plant. I plant the seed. I don't impose it, but I do expose it. And right. that's, that's, you know, I, I have a lot of mantras to keep things simple. So by not imposing, I don't force things down people's throats. I believe in choice. But I do expose. I do expose information that is being withheld from people. And I do bring the knowledge and the empowerment of choices to the minds who want to hear it. And I do support by going wherever I am needed with whoever needs me, having just spent, you know, seven years tending to our friend whose desire in her 80s was to stay home, 
Two of us have just spent seven years keeping her home. And all I can say is thanks be to the Creator, you know, between myself and my friend who was also a senior, um, you know, we were able to adhere to Ruth's wishes. And it was not easy. But she got to die at home in the comfort of her own home, and we didn't have to deal with the horror and the nightmares of what is happening to people like Aunt Bev and countless others that the world do not know about and they need to know because people need to realize we're all going to get older and it's not even about being older like I said at 48 I was dropped off in a long-term care facility stroked out left side paralyzed going what did I just sign mm-hmm. so well, it's about compassion it's about yes. ethics morals and and the HIPAA law but if you mm-hmm. can keep you know, we've said this many times on this program. If you can keep your loved one at home with you, that is the best place for them to be because oh, yeah. it's like, Sparky, it's like you say, it's a warehouse everywhere mm-hmm. else, and all they're interested in is money, money. And when the money runs out from privately paid, your loved one will die soon thereafter because they're not getting enough money to keep them, and they want their bed. They want their room, and they will be shuffled out in a body bag. And yes. that is just the cold, hard facts. And, you know, but I hate to say it. But like, it's say that. Yeah, it's interesting that you mm-hmm. do say that because in in majority of the cases, it's not even about the money that they pay out, like the money that's being paid out as the corporations get rich isn't actually getting them the service. So it doesn't matter if you're paying $10 or you're paying $5,000 because the people who are getting the 5000 say, well, that's not enough. And the person paying 10 they say, well, you don't have enough to pay us anymore, so you got to go. So it still comes back to... The, the bottom line is it's it's not about the money that they're actually paying. That's not getting them any better care. It's getting them, you, you know, the same neglect and abuse. Right, but it's, it's getting them to live longer. They, You know, if you're paying the money yeah. and they, you know, if they have a bed that they can put you in and you're ma- they're making less money and it's not costing them because that mm-hmm. bed is full, but if somebody else is going to come in that's going to be privately paid, then you need to go. And the privately paid person, when they can no longer pay, they become feeding off of the government, which is going to go to get less. And you're expendable. The fact is we are all expendable. And as you said earlier, we are all going to get old. And I don't know what the sweet spot is, if it's, you know, when you turn 65, 63, 72, what is it? Mm -hmm. None of us knows what it is. Yeah, but it's a crime. Yeah. It's it's crime. No, it's murder. It's condoned. Yeah, for sure. And that's where advocating for alternative care. Uh, say say for example, and I may be off a figure or two, but say for example, you take a home, and here's the mathematics to it. From a, a very simple breakdown, is sixty three thousand dollars is allocated per bed in long term care. So what we're talking about is if you've got a home of 200 people and they get $63,000 a year for each bed, each person that's in it, then reallocate that $63,000 to you 
so that you could turn around and keep Grandpa home and hire your own care instead of it going into the corporations where they're not going to give Grandpa very much of that $63,000. In fact, you know, Grandpa's going to get minimal of any of it in the neglect and abuse, in the lack of care, right? So reallocate the funds. Open up smaller facilities. Right. Stop the You've got 50 seconds left to go. You have 50 Certainly. seconds. Okay. Okay. So um, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, Sparky, I hope that our listeners um, garnered something out of it. And it's, it's, you know, it's not a group you really want to be a member of, but the reality is it's coming, it's here, it's happening. Please be on your guard. And all of our shows are archived. You can re-listen to this to get the information that I gave earlier about the resources and Sparky gave you um, a couple of resources, too, that you could join. And thank you for joining us. And we will be back in two weeks on May the 19th with a very, very special guest. So good night, Sparky, and thank you so much for telling your truth, your life, and love, and sharing that with us. Uh, blessings, and thank you for having me. Thank you Absolutely. for having me. You've been great and uh, very eye-opening to our listeners. Yes. Everybody, just stay awake, look under the sheets, ask the questions, document, call the police, report, never stop the fight. Exactly, exactly. So, Marty, again, thank you for having all of us on and giving us this forum. And good night, everyone. We'll see you back hopefully in two weeks. Good night, Sparky. Good night. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Yes.